Hi, listeners. You can now listen to this community podcast production ad-free on Apple Podcasts and access the podcast one week early and get exclusive bonus content. Just hit the subscribe button now on Apple Podcasts. Or if you want access to all of the above, plus video versions of the podcast, head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. I'm Sarah Ferris, true crime podcaster. And I'm Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. And you're listening to Stop the Killing. Time for another bonus episode of Stop the Killing. It's a really loud helicopter in the background. Can you hear that? I cannot. I think you're making that up. I no, think you're just it literally sounds like people. it's about to land in my house. Well, that would be kind of a cool episode if it did. <laughs> yeah. I don't know who hey, would be dropping in on me. The Queen. If they're fast <laughs> roping down, I would be worried. No, that's, that's all true. I'm saying. These episodes are bonus episodes that are just in between season three and season four. So we are currently working on season four. If you've got any ideas, do send them to us. But mm-hmm. we don't want to leave a STK sized hole in your listening. So we are putting together these bonus episodes. And today we are talking about dun, 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 over to you, Catherine. What are we talking about? Well, I love the bonus episodes allow us to do current events. And Mm -hmm. things that, you know, are kind of the latest and the greatest. And I wanted to just have a brief conversation about this fascinating concept that you and I should have a debate about here in public, up on our (laughs) soapboxes. You can pick a side because I can argue either side. This summer, we had elections recently here in the United States. And when that happens, certain seats in the Senate and certain seats in the House turn, but not all of them. And of course, you know, different politicians decide whether they're going to run or not. And So in New York, there was a member of our House of Representatives here in Washington, D.C. He made a decision in the summertime, July, I think, to say, I'm not going to run for re-election in November. And he announced that, which is a little bit unusual that you would announce way so early. But he announced that. And he put forth this idea to submit a bill to Congress to say, I want a bill that's going to require licensing for anybody who buys an automatic weapon. Ooh, okay. Liking where this is going. Yeah. So here's where historically, there are some states that require some sort of licensing. There are some states, there's federal system that requires a background check on people. But a licensing is like a list of people, right? I mean, and there's massive opposition in the United States in some aspects of the gun Mm. ownership community to a licensing, a list of people who own guns. So many people in the world, I'm sure, think that the United States, well, they have 400 million guns, they must have a list somewhere of who owns those guns. But in fact, there is no database in the United States. And there's no way to collect a list of who owns guns. Because guns can be sold privately. Many of them don't have to be registered. Ghost guns don't even have registration numbers on them. And so when you purchase a gun, your background investigation information kind of goes through the system. But that information doesn't go into some big database. A lot of people think that, but that isn't that way. So there's this member of our House of Representatives. His name is Chris Jacobs. And he put forth a bill that would require that anybody who wants to buy 
a semi-automatic weapon. A sure. semi-automatic weapon is a huge number of weapons in the United States that allow for an automatic reloading and pulling of the trigger very quickly. And he said, anybody who currently owns a semi-automatic weapon would be allowed to keep them, different position than other states, right? But anybody who wants to buy a weapon would have to get a license. Right. So he's asking for a little demarcation. And he's saying, you have to get a license if you want to buy a semi-automatic weapon, and you have to meet certain criteria. Now, there was a 10-year period in the United States when you couldn't buy a huge number of semi-automatic weapons. That semi-automatic weapons firearms ban had a sunset provision. So after 10 years, it disappeared because Congress never re-upped it. So his idea is, look, we're not going to say we're going to take all your guns away like you did in New Zealand or Australia. We're not going to say you can't have this weapon. We're just saying you have to be licensed to have this type of weapon. So something that's not really been put forth in this fashion before in the federal system is a proposal. And, and so, how far so it go? Oh, it's not, it's probably not going to go anywhere. Of course um, it's not. But here's what he introduced. And the thing is that even if it's not going in place right now, it doesn't mean that it might not someplace else or it might not yeah. at the state level, right? Because yeah. here's what he proposed. In order to buy this type of firearm, you would have to take a firearm safety course, which almost nobody requires. Right. Um, you'd have to pass, of course, an FBI background check, get your fingerprints taken and submit proof of who your identity is and then pay a fee. And then that fee would be used to fund the licensing requirements. So then after five years, the license would have to be reissued. So you could get this license that would allow you to buy guns. But in five years time, if you wanted to continue to buy guns, you had to relicense again. Well, I just think that's bloody sensible, but that's me. I kind of feel we make people have a license to drive a car. You have to show that you understand how to use what can be a, a weapon if it's driven badly. I just don't understand why we wouldn't put a licensing in place for people. What am I missing? Why is this such a big thing? Why would people oppose that? You know, I'm sure listeners know I was in the FBI for 20 years, carried guns, have a gun here, even though I'm retired from the FBI. So not speaking for all gun owners, but speaking for all gun owners, there's There is a very entrenched, I think, misconception is my opinion, but others would not say it's a misconception. There's a very entrenched view amongst a segment of very vocal gun owners that any regulations, any legislation is a slippery slope that's going to take weapons away from people in the United States. And we had, I will add this, that we had for 20 years, a well-funded, very vocal National Rifle Association, NRA, that advocated that legislatively. They pushed it. They funded all these legislators. And they argued that very successfully for 20 years. So the people who own guns right now very firmly believe that the government is going to try to take their weapons away. And it's not the bulk of gun owners by any means. I think that over the last five years, we've learned that the NRA got a little too big for its britches, especially the president of the NRA. And it turned out that he was spending a lot of money for his own benefit. And the board members were spending a lot of money for their own benefits. And there were questions about whether they should be dissolved. And But there are other firearms advocate organizations that have you know, stepped in, in place, Gun Owners of America and others. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. 
We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital or maybe you just lost it? Well, stubforge.com is here to change that. Imagine this, tickets that not only look but feel like the real deal because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything, from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements or parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, Stubforge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With Stubforge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift or send the coolest invites, head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket a story worth saving. Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets today. I hear frustration from people like you who say, you know, why this, why that? I think from the gun owner standpoint, they say, I want to buy an $800 handgun, but on top of the $800 handgun, I have to pay for a background done and I have to pay this. And now you're telling me I have to lock it up. And so in order to get a handgun in my house that I want for my own safety, uh, or I want to carry it around for my own safety, my $800 handgun is going to cost me $1,500 by the time that I pay all the fees and register and take all the time to do it. The other mm-hmm. argument there is though, if I was that person, I would be willing to pay that essentially a tax, the licensing tax, to know that my community was safer. I'm not going to be necessarily the person that's going out and causing mass violence, but yeah. I want to know that there's a process in place that is that's definitely harder for somebody else to do that if they are that way inclined i feel like it's a different kind of thinking thinking Mm -hmm. outside of yourself you know the numbers are 80 and 90 percent of the people in the united states including gun owners who believe there should be some sort of registration and background checks done for guns but there's yes but there's no legislative will to do that and and it's unlikely that there would be and i think that representative jacob's position is, look, why don't we see if we can split the baby in a Solomon way and say, maybe what we can try to do is compromise and come up with a way that at least we would know who has these weapons and that when they get them, the ones that we know potentially could be most lethal, that we would know who has them and they would have some training and they'd have to pay a fee to get it. So it's not just some 18-year-old. You know, we had a school shooting here this year where an 18-year-old practically on his 18th birthday walked in, bought a semi-automatic rifle and uh, went to school and shot the school up. Yeah. And it's not the first time. And it's a rare circumstance. And I think that's the hard part for gun owners and for people who say, I don't want the government in my business. You know, not so much even just gun owners, but the idea of, I don't need the government to be all over in my business and I don't need to pay a thousand fees 
in order to just function in life. I can do just fine by myself. So, okay, now you want me to register this gun when I buy this semi-automatic, but then next time the form is going to be changed and I'm going to have to list every gun I have in my house. You know, this is the slippery slope. And I think has been argued quite successfully. Mm. And let me add one other thing too. In the States at least, and I think other countries follow suit, where there are firearms, the people who own firearms own the bulk of the firearms. There's a small number of people who own multiple guns. I read once an average of 17 guns in a gun owner's house. If you have 17 guns and you've paid fees on those, or you have to have those registered, it's much more complicated than owning one car. Having one driver's license you get and you just keep it forever. I mean, if that's the choice that you're making as your hobby to get all those guns in, then that's perhaps not the biggest price that you have to pay when on the flip side of that, we have four and a half million loaded weapons in houses with children. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that that's the challenge, right? How far do we have to go, right? You know, I was at this um, national conference on firearm safety recently and One of the takeaways from this is that it was the first conference for firearms injury. The keynote speaker was fascinating. The keynote speaker pointed out that this is the acknowledgement that this is a public health hazard. Firearms are a public health hazard. And if you went back 30 years, we determined that automobile accidents were a public health hazard. And the Center for Disease Control and Prevention here in the United States, they identify something and say, this is a public health hazard. And they said back then, vehicles are. And there was tons of research that was done. And eventually, even though there was so much opposition to it by people like my dad, who said, I'm never putting one of those things around my waist, I won't be able to get out of my car in an accident, even though he was never in an accident in his life. Yeah. People who believed that seatbelts were an unnecessary imposition in the auto industry that didn't want to retrofit their cars with them. Eventually, there was a determination and enough evidence to show, look, this is a practical, realistic way that we can help from a public health standpoint if we put seatbelts into vehicles and we can reduce the number of people who are killed from auto accidents by simply requiring people to wear seatbelts. First, they put them in right? As a permissive. And then eventually state by state, they passed laws saying it's mandatory. But in the beginning, you could have a seatbelt in your car, but you didn't have to wear it. So it's been a slow progress in order to reduce the number of violent deaths with the automobiles, but part by the medical community recognizing saying this is a public health hazard that we can do something about if we have the research and we push the agenda forward to say, let's pass the laws that might be incrementally helpful to reduce the vehicle deaths. And seatbelts was one of those. I think we're doing the same thing now with firearms. We recognize now that firearm injury and death is the number one cause of death for youth in the United States, that it's avoidable in so many instances, but we have to do the research and we have to find the little pieces to tell us What are the little pieces? And I think when Representative Jacobs puts forward a bill in Congress that he knows isn't going to pass and he says that, what he's doing is he's starting a conversation to say, look, maybe for this type of weapon, if we're not going to ban them like they have in other countries, we're not going to buy them back like they have in some other countries, and we're not going to prohibit the sale of them like they tried to do in the United States, but then couldn't successfully re-up that law. Maybe what we can do is simply say, okay, if you buy one, you have to license for it. So that gives us a chance to kind of do a background check, see who you are, 
keep track of whether or not you are a potential problem. There's a record of them owning these types of guns. There isn't any record right now of who even owns any of these weapons. That seems crazy. This is a creative idea that Representative Jacobs had, and I admire him. I'm sad that he said, I'm going to propose this act that I know Congress won't pass. And at the same time, he didn't say this aloud, but we all know that this is going to kill my political career, so I'm also not going to run again. He sacrificed that for the greater good. And we all need to do a little bit more soul searching about what compromises we're willing to take to save lives. So I just wanted to share that with you because it's another creative idea. Somebody is saying, look, okay, how else can we crack this nut? And I love that that uh, Representative Jacob said, let's try to crack the nut this way. And maybe he'll yell and it won't get passed, but it will prompt people to think about something they maybe think about before. So I love that. Love that creativity. Thanks for listening. And if you want to know more, Catherine's book, Stop the Killing, is out now. For more details, go to katherineschweit.com. Please consider also supporting our independently made podcast. It's simple to do. Go to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. And for as little as the price of a latte a month, you can be part of the solution to stop the killing. Patreon rewards range from official do-gooder status to ad-free episodes, autographed books, and opportunities to connect with us directly for your business, school, church, or even just a book club chat. But just knowing that you are part of a movement that has the power to make your community safer, well, that's got to taste better than a skinny cappuccino any day. So please head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing now and polish off your do-gooder halo and make sure to include your name so we can give you a shout out. This podcast is a community podcast production. That's con with an N. If you want more content, then head over to Community Podcast at Instagram, where you'll find trailers on more binge-worthy true crime, like the award-winning podcast Conning the Con. And check out our show notes for all the links mentioned. Finally, if you want one takeaway action that you can do right now that can help make our community safer, please share, rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. Everybody needs to know that they hold the keys to see something and say something. Together, we can stop the killing. It's one of those things you hope never happens, but you better train for it because it will happen and it will happen in places you wouldn't expect. Be ready for it. time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 24 hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks' lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, Annette's been murder, 
all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. <laughs>